Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Is that your testimony this morning? Is that what the world sees? That's, that's a bit tougher to answer, isn't it? Yes, that's my testimony. That's what I believe, but is that what the world sees? How about when we pressured and pressed and cornered and irritated? Jesus Christ, my living hope. Sheldon Vanorken, in his book, A Severe Mercy, says the best argument for Christianity are Christians with their joy and their certainty and their completeness. He also says that the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians when they are smug, self-righteous, and arrogant. Wow. <laughs> we have been studying Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 for several weeks. It's a story of Peter and John who went to the temple for what was really a routine day of prayer, and God had other plans. God healed a lame beggar. This frustrated some religious leaders. Peter and John were brought before them. They had to answer for it. Uh, and they were challenged about their faith. And they were told, do not speak in this name anymore. Two weeks ago, we looked at the offensive message. There are some messages that will just irritate people. It will tick them off. Last week we looked at Peter and John's unwavering commitment. Today we continue the story and we look at a respectful messenger. So this is a message on communication. I am not a communications expert. I'm not going to give you the best way to dialogue with your millennial children. I have two of them. It is sometimes extremely difficult. I'm not going to tell you the best ways to communicate with your spouse. I do have some interesting quotes on communication. I have gathered these from various sources. You may find some of these thought-provoking. Talk is cheap because the supply always exceeds the demand. <laughs> Many a blunt word has a sharp edge. That kind of hits us between the eyes, doesn't it? Well, I was just being honest. Keep your words soft and sweet. You never know when you may have to eat them. Profanity is a public announcement of stupidity. A lie is a coward's way of getting out of trouble. Don't brag, it isn't the whistle that pulls the train. I like that. If someone paid you 10 cents for every kind word you said about people and collected 5 cents for every unkind word you said about people, would you be rich or poor? These next four are all similar. It would be better to leave people wondering why you didn't talk than why you did. Clothes may disguise a fool, but his words will give him away. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. 
The last one, since light travels faster than sound, some people appear bright until you hear them speak. I have an adaptation to that one. Since light travels faster than sound, some Christians appear to be saints until they open their mouths. If you and I are followers of Jesus Christ, and if we are willing to talk about our faith, and we are willing to stand by our faith and stand on our convictions, then we will offend someone. And that person, whoever they might be, might come after us and might criticize us and corner us and try and discredit our message. They might attack us as individuals. How will you respond to that? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. I'm just summarizing some of these verses. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Since light travels faster than sound, some Christians appear to be far brighter than what they really are. Is that unfair to say? Is that kind of judgmental? I'm not talking to you this morning as someone that has an expert opinion on communication, because I don't. I've served the Lord for 40 years. I've endeavored to stand firm on my faith but I confess to you, I have not always delivered the message well. i share two examples with you. When I was a pastor in South Africa, there were, I was part of a very tightly knit association of 14 churches. There was this older pastor that I looked up to. We spent time weekly in prayer. And he and I didn't see eye to eye on a few things. I was young. <laughs> I thought I knew everything. I think I did. I'm just kidding. And there was an issue that came up that he and I had difference of opinions on. And we had strong difference of opinion on this. So I did some research. I actually wrote a little paper, shared it with some people. What do you think? I shared it with him. Um, he didn't agree with me. So there was this group meeting, about 10 or 12 of us leaders in this association, and I challenged him on this issue. But yet I didn't deal with the message. I went after him as a person. And then somebody leaned across the table and said, have you spoken to him about this before today? And it's as if I'm a gracious, loving Heavenly Father reached into my big fat mouth and grabbed my heart and squeezed it. I messed it up. It didn't matter what my message was. My message might have been right. I think it was. But I messed up the delivery. And that's where the meeting ended. Nobody cared what I said. They cared on how I said it. Some years ago, I was developing a relationship with a man who had a Christian testimony. And if he and I compared notes, and we shared some notes, and he and I would agree on creation by Almighty God, the monotheism, one God in three persons, the Trinity, the virgin birth, um, the divinity of Jesus, uh, vicarious suffering of our Savior, 
substitutionary death, all of these important theological things that we have to agree on if we call ourselves Christians, this person and I would be on the same page, except for one very, very important moral issue. His moral compass and mine pointed in different directions on this one issue. We were on the phone together one day, and he asked me, he said, Wayne, can you accept me as a brother in Christ? I said, no. And we spoke a bit more, and about three years later, I was sitting one day just reflecting on conversations that Jesus had with people that he had serious differences of opinion on. And we can name them, Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, Matthew, the woman caught in adultery, the Samaritan woman at the well. And as I reflected on these conversations, I realized that never once does Jesus impugn their character. He deals with the message and he's firm, he's clear. I looked up this man, I'd lost contact with him and I found an email address for him. I sent him an email and I said, please forgive me. I had no right to question your testimony. I had no right to judge your relationship with Jesus. You and I disagree on this very important moral issue, but I had no right to go after your spirituality. You see, I, I lost the right to talk into his life on this moral issue which I think he was wrong. But I messed it up because I was arrogant and self-righteous and smug. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 10 as the starting point for these messages the past few weeks, so let's go back there. Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, and, and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver, your, deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now you and I, it's extremely unlikely that we are going to be dragged before courts and flogged, or brought before governors and kings to defend our faith. But there is a likelihood that we will be pressed sometime we will be in a corner, we'll be caught of God, and we will have to answer for our faith. If this happens, how will it look? How will Jesus look in us? Do you get mad and fight and yell and say vile things? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 10. I'm sending you out, Jesus says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Wise as serpents, wisdom, sensibility, innocent as doves, pure, gentle, sincere, blameless. Is, it, is that what the world gets from us, wisdom and gentleness? When we're pressed and pressured, is that what the world gets? Is that how we treat our spouse, our employees, our children? That irritating person at the fast food restaurant that gets our order wrong. Wisdom and gentleness. 
regrettably, at times, and, and I'm guilty of this, what the world gets is not gentleness and wisdom, but fangs and venom. So I've got an important announcement to make. Are you listening? When Jesus told us to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves, he was not calling us to be spitting cobras. Sometimes that's what people get, isn't it? It's easier to just lash out than to guard our words. Well, they did a stupid thing to me. Wisdom and gentleness or fangs and venom. Well, I was angry and Paul says I'm allowed to be angry. Wisdom and gentleness or fangs and venom. Well, I was just exercising my righteous indignation. <laughs> Wisdom and gentleness or fangs and venom. Well, Jesus got mad at the money changers. He overturned their tables. He denounced the religious leaders as hypocrites. Did Jesus ever say in those passages, now you go and do likewise? No. So when your cage is rattled, when your buttons are pushed, when you're cornered and having to force out a defense for your faith, what does the world hear? What do they get? What do your loved ones get? There is no allowance in the Christian life for an uncontrolled anger and an uncontrolled tongue. And punctuating your anger or peppering your inappropriate speech with in Jesus' name or some other religious jargon doesn't give you a pass. It is not okay to rail at someone and spew venom and yell and rant and rage and then say, I'm praying for you. I don't know how many times, I'm not kidding, I don't know how many times in Christian education I've got that. And I get an anonymous letter, sometimes it's named, and they end the letter, I'm praying for you, really? <laughs> Claiming righteous indignation does not give you a pass to use vile words. Claiming righteous indignation does not excuse your judgmental tone or your haughty spirit. Claiming righteous indignation does not mean that you just denounce people as in, in their sinful lives as abominations and then just hope that Jesus is going to look attractive to them. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't matter how right you are, and it doesn't matter how dumb or stupid or arrogant other people were. It doesn't give you a pass to be arrogant back. So what does Jesus look like in you? Colossians 1.27 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, we sang about hope just a few minutes ago. We, oh, we have this wonderful message of hope, of redemption and setting free from sin and guilt. And, and a life of joy and purpose and meaning. And the world needs to hear that and the world needs to see that from us. And Paul is saying that there's this mystery that has been concealed for generations that has now been revealed. And what is this mystery? It is Christ 
in you, Christ in me, the hope, God's hope in your workplace, God's hope in the market where you, or, or the store where you shop, your family around your dinner table, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I worked for two years under a man who had an uncontrolled anger. And one day, my son was in middle school, and my son and another student were late getting to class, and, and this gentleman that I worked with came and told him to hurry along, and my son mistakenly said, yes, ma'am, I've had that from time to time, yes, ma'am, rather than yes, sir, and it's no big deal, but this man took exception to it and just flew off in a rage at my son and, and said things like, I don't have problems with my masculinity. You and your father might. Wow. What did, what did Jesus look like to my middle school son out of that man's mouth? My son came into my classroom, and he was crying, and, and he wanted me to go down the hall and hit that man so bad. I'm not going to tell you what I wanted to do. I waited a few hours, calmed down, went and spoke to him. He threatened to fire me on the spot. I said, that's fine, but that doesn't give you a right to question my son's masculinity because he made a mistake. That man lost the right to talk Jesus to my son. Paul David Tripp, well-known author and conference speaker, tells a story that when he was a young man, whenever they went to family gatherings, they never knew what to get because half were Christian and half were not. And he said in this particular family gathering, there was an uncle who was getting more and more drunk, and the words coming out of his mouth were getting more and more flavored, and eventually he just went into this tirade, profanity-laced tirade, and started speaking horribly about women. And so Paul Tripp says that his mother took him and his siblings out into another room and then said a very wise thing to him and his siblings. You never heard a word coming out of a drunk man that wasn't there before he was drunk. Can we give that a little Christian flavor? This is important. You never hear words coming out of an angry Christian that wasn't there before they were angry. And you might say, well, that's just my carnal nature. <laughs> Rearing its, egg, its ugly head, we just sang a song that Jesus died to have the Holy Spirit take control of your carnal nature, didn't we? Fangs and venom are not fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are fruits of the Spirit. And when the Spirit is not in control of your tongue, who is? When the Spirit is not in control of your anger, who is? Your actions on the sideline at a ball game, at the office, in traffic, at home, reflect Jesus in you. Personally, I think adults ought to be banned from Little League baseball games. 
There's something about athletics that turns innocent adult doves into spitting cobras. <laughs> Greg Kokel said, the gospel is offensive enough, don't add to it. It is, it's offensive. And that's good. Because it convicts us and checks us. Tells people that they're sinners and that they're bound for an eternity without Christ. But when we're ar arrogant and if, we don't, if, if we're not respectful messengers of the gospel, then we add to that offense. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That checks our spirit, doesn't it? Let your speech always be gracious. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So let's go back. This has been a long introduction. Let's go back to Acts chapter 4 and our story. Peter has been confronted by the Sanhedrin. He's been arrested really for no reason at all. He's been told to keep quiet about his faith, not to talk about Jesus at the office, kind of, so to speak. And we pick up the story in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouths of our father David, your servant, did by, said by the Holy Spirit, why did, they, why did the Gentiles rage? and the people's plot in vain. That's a quote from Psalm 2. So I paused and I looked up that word rage. It means to stomp the ground, to, to, to prance around and to snort. And then I looked up every use of that word rage in the Bible. There's 16 uses of that word in the Bible. And never once does it say, now you go and act just like this. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Verse 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What strikes me from that passage, and we're not going to spend time in that passage, but what strikes me from that passage is that Peter and the other disciples are praying for the very thing that the authorities have told them not to do. They're praying that you would give us opportunities to speak and to give us boldness to speak. Now, remember that this is blabbermouth Peter talking, right? Peter, who when he walked with Jesus, opened his mouth and messed up the message over and over and over again. Peter, who was confronted by the religious leaders. Peter, who had a reason to be angry at this point. But what do we see from Peter? So let's go back to verse 8, chapter 4. 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, now these are the religious leaders that are challenging Peter, okay? Peter said, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, do you get the respect in his words? He isn't questioning what right they have to, to arrest Peter and John. What right do you have to question me about this? No, he's acknowledging, you are my rulers. You are the elders. Verse 9, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. It's impossible for us to know his tone, but it doesn't look like there's any arrogance, any haughty spirit. He's not being combative. He's standing firm. Verse 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. <laughs> I told you last week that the word astonished means awestruck. They didn't like the message, but they were impressed with the messenger. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter addressed the Sanhedrin with perfect respect. And he seemed to regard this opportunity as a wonderful chance for him to speak for his faith. The word and tone that we use when we're delivering the message, when we're answering somebody back, when we're feeling somewhat irritated and we have to respond, the way we convey that will either cause somebody to lean in, to listen, even if they don't agree with our message, they might actually find Jesus attractive. Or if we're arrogant and adversarial, they will dismiss our message as religious nonsense, and then we'll lose the opportunity to speak Jesus to them. Let's... Let's look at some Bible verses. Ephesians 4. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 and 21. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If you're thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then Peter, let's, let's hear from Peter. Chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. There might come a time when somebody that you love dearly asks you to do something that no Christian ought to do. Peter is saying it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There might come a time when your boss or your business partner pressures you to alter records or to lie to a customer. And if you don't, your business is going to fail. Peter says it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There might come a time when the devil convinces you that your entire life is hinging on just a small little compromise of your faith. Peter says it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So I'd like to wrap this up by looking at verse 15 in that passage. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And I want to share five brief points out of that verse. Peter says in this verse, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That, I think, is where the battle is often won or lost. Is Christ first in your heart? Have you given him that place of honor in your heart? Does he truly have control of your life, your inner desires and passions and motives? This is where the spiritual battle is won or lost. Peter says, in your hearts honor Christ as holy. Out of our hearts springs life. Out of our hearts springs words. Out of our hearts springs those emotions when we are irritated and annoyed. In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared, ready, ready for that opportunity, mindful of the fact that at any moment, without warning, God might present us an opportunity to speak about our faith, to speak into the life of someone else. Christians, by definition, are students of God's words. We are disciples. We are disciplined disciples. Peter is saying, be ready, be prepared. In your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. Always being prepared, third point, to make a defense to anyone who asks you. I think the word defense there intimidates us. And I want to share with you that you don't have to wax eloquent. You don't have to have all of the theology lined up. You don't have to have the best philosophical arguments or explanations. But you do have to season your response with gentleness and wisdom. And in fact, it's okay sometimes to say, I don't know. It's okay. I'll get back to you on that one. Or I can't explain science and evolution and six-day creation. I'm sorry. I can't fully explain God in three persons. But this I do know. Once I was blind, but now I see. I have this hope, this hope that's hard to explain sometimes, but, but I have this hope in life, yeah, and life after death. And that's point four. Peter says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. 
Our world needs hope. Our world wants to hear hopeful messages. And then he finishes that verse. He says, do it with gentleness and respect. Choose your words carefully. Is what I'm about to say going to help or hinder? What will Jesus look like to my hearers when they hear me speak? Is it seasoned with wisdom and with gentleness and respect? When we catch up with Peter before the Sanhedrin, something has changed. Something has happened in Peter's life. If we look at Peter in the three years that he walked with Jesus and how many times he opened his mouth and got into trouble and now he's standing before the Sanhedrin and he got it right. Gentleness and respect, but yet a firm, firm conviction. Martin Luther standing before the power of the Holy Roman Empire got it right. Firm conviction, but respect and gentleness. The best argument for Christians, <laughs> for Christianity, is Christians, when we're pressed and when we are cornered, but our response is seasoned with salt, gentleness, and respect. Unfortunately, the strongest argument against Christianity is Christians, when we're pressed and cornered and we're arrogant and smug and disrespectful. You've, you've heard me say this before, I'm going to say it again, and I'll keep saying it. If the world hates us because of our message, then so be it. But may the world never hate us because of the way we've conveyed our message. When that happens, we lose them, and we all get judged. So may God help us. How are you doing this morning? Some of us have not so colorful track records in this area. And the God of hope, almighty risen Savior, can help us control our tongue. Amen? And that person that pushes our buttons, that situation that just gets us kind of boiling, <laughs> the Holy Spirit can, can, can control us in that situation. So I want to invite you this morning to take this to the Lord. And maybe there's something that's happened in the past that you need to go back and you need to call somebody or send them an email and say, look, I'm sorry. I tried to deliver a message, but I messed up the delivery. Please forgive me. Or maybe you've recognized that this is something that you battle with even today. And you stumble over this over and over and over again. God can help you. Just like he changed Peter, he can change us. Let's, let's pray to our wonderful God of hope here this morning. Let's pray. We're not going to close in a closing hymn this morning or a worship song. I just want to close with a time of reflection. 
And I want to invite you to just in this quiet moment, allow the Lord to speak to you. Allow him to examine your heart and your message. we are all sinners saved by grace undeserving of your grace and you have taken Lord the past and the mess and the problems and issues and you have forgiven them you have wiped them clean from our slate you have set us free from so many things and today we stand before you we bow before you as guiltless individuals because you have taken that away you have set us free and it is hard to explain that to someone who's a cynic forgive us for those times when we mess up the delivery of your wonderful message of hope Lord forgive us for those times when you in us does not look very hopeful instead it's critical and judgmental and haughty I pray that you would do a work in us. That people would see Jesus in us. Help us, Lord, to be messengers of grace and gentleness and respect. And now I pray that Almighty God would bless each family, each individual in this room, that your face, Lord, would shine upon us, that your peace would reign in our hearts, and that we would go in the grace and strength and power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Amen. God bless you.